0: to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Resolved that the bill from the House of Representatives H.R. 8404 entitled an act to repeal the Defense of Marriage Act and ensure respect for state regulation of marriage and for other purposes do pass with the following. Section one, this act may be cited as the Respect for Marriage Act. That is the opener to the text for the Respect for Marriage Act. We're going to discuss today, what does this bill actually do and what are the implications? Because a lot of times the text or the messaging can sound really nice, but there can be second and third order effects that people have not anticipated, or in this case, that they have anticipated and are being deliberately ignored. We're going to go all of, over all of that on this episode.
1: Thanks so much, Nick. I appreciate it. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation because this is kind of a complicated tangle of an issue. I have reason to suspect that this act does not actually respect marriage at all, but we will find out for sure. You guys should join us in conversation about this over on our Volley app, and let's get into the actual text of the bill to see what it really says.
0: All right, going around the table real quick. I am your host, Nick Freitas, member of the Virginia House of Delegates, but other than that, a good person. With me is always my beautiful bride, Tina, Queen of the Bees. Hello, everyone. Then we have our political prognosticator and resident historian Christian Hines.
2: Hello, I correctly predicted that we'd lose in Georgia yesterday. Shh. Just, no. <laughs> then we have, Thanks, have Christian. Then we have
0: Nicholas Hamilton, the good Hamilton, the one that doesn't like central banking. Thank you, Nick. And our new producer of producers, Lydia Sour Patch Lids herself. Lydia, That's kick us right. off. That's
1: right. I'm stoked. Let's go. Let's get into the actual text of the bill because I feel like people have all these hot takes, but no one is actually talking about what it really says.
0: Okay.
2: Well, so, obviously, it says respect for marriage. That's, so that's right. What the bill that's does, what means, that must right? be
0: what it does. Just, Just like yeah. the, Redu- the Inflation Reduction Act, right? That didn't that's actually right. reduce any Just inflation. Just like how the
2: Patriot Act was for patriots. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes. All right. So we're, we're going to read over a couple of things here, right? So the, the first section of this bill, it talks about the title of it. Then it goes into the findings, right? And it says this. Congress finds the following. No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. Two. Diverse beliefs about the role of gender in marriage are held by reasonable and sincere people based on decent and honorable religious or philosophical premises. Therefore, Congress affirms that such people and their diverse beliefs are due proper respect. Three millions of people, including interracial and same-sex couples, have entered into marriages and have enjoyed the rights and privileges associated with marriage. Couples joining a marriage deserve to have the dignity, stability, and ongoing protection that marriage affords to families and children. I think it's interesting that they add both interracial and same-sex as if that's... I don't know, the same As thing. As if there's a I huge debate. Sure the, yeah. the
2: use of the word mm-hmm. privilege here is also interesting to me.
0: Yeah, right. Mm. Well, rights and privileges associated with marriage. I mean, that's, that's kind of a common legal term. Then section three is the repeal uh, of section added to Title 28 of the U.S. Code. That was the Defense of Marriage Act, which enshrined in the U.S. Uh, or in U.S. Code that marriage is between one man and one woman, and basically, like, one state didn't have to recognize the same-sex union from a different state. Section 4 is full faith and credit given to marriage equality, Chapter uh, 115 of Title 28. United States Code is amended by the side, blah, 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 blah. Certain acts, records, and proceedings, and the effect thereof. In general... No person acting under color of state law may deny full faith and credit to any public act, record, or judicial proceeding of any other state pertaining to a marriage between two individuals on the basis of sex, race, ethnicity, or national origin of these individuals or a right or claim arising from such marriage on the basis that such marriage would not be recognized in the law of that state on the basis of the sex, ethnicity, or national origin of those individuals. All right, So the whole sex race thing, they're basically saying that this is applying to all the states. So anybody operating out of the color of state authority cannot deny you or or fail to recognize your marriage under if this act is passed. Then it goes into enforcement by attorney general. The attorney general may bring a civil action in the appropriate United States District Court against any person who violates... Subsection for declaratory and injunctive relief. So what they're saying is, is that if a state, if somebody under the color of state authority did, does deny or doesn't recognize that, the United States Attorney General can sue them. But it goes farther. This part's important. Private right of action. Any person who is harmed by a violation of subsection A may bring a civil action in the appropriate United States District Court against the person who violated sub, 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 such subsection for declaratory and injunctive relief. Then it's state defined in this section, the term state is the meaning given such term and bottom line, it applies to all the states. So not only can the US government come after you, but individual citizens can also come after you. Okay, now it goes into marriage recognition. All right, so basically it's changing the code, and this is what it's going to say. For the purpose of any federal law, rule, or regulation in which marital status is a factor, an individual shall be considered married if that individual's marriage is between two individuals and is valid in the state where the marriage was entered into, or in the case of a marriage entered into outside of any state, if the marriage is between two individuals and is valid in the place where entered into, and the marriage could have been entered into, in a state. That's all really confusing to basically say any two people can get married. That's what it's saying. In this section, state means a state, blah, blah, blah. We know what that means. For the purpose of the subsection, to determine whether a marriage is valid in a state or the place where it entered into, if outside of any state, only the law of jurisdiction applicable in the time of the marriage was entered into may be considered. You, you, could, you could consider part of what they're doing here is they're saying you, you have to lawfully enter into it. So two people can't just walk out and say, hey, we're married. They still have to go through that state process to be, but the state can now not deny them you know, marriage if it's, again, two individuals of the same sex. Uh, And then section six, no impact on religious liberty and conscience. So Mm. this is interesting. This is where they're trying to make the claim that we're not, we're not impacting any of you, you know, any of you religious bigots out there, right? That's, that's usually how this is approached. Don't worry, we're, we're not infringing on your, your rights. And they will. But here we go. In general, yeah. nothing in this act or any amendment by this act shall be construed to diminish or abrogate a religious liberty or conscience protection otherwise available to an individual or organization under the Constitution of the United States or federal law. Well, that sounds nice. Let's see if it actually plays out. Goods or services consistent with the First Amendment to the Constitution, nonprofit religious organizations, including churches, mosques, synagogues, temples, non-denominational ministries, interdenomination, and ecumenical organization, and it goes through the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. And nonprofit entities whose principal purpose is the study, practice, or advancement of religion and any employee of such organization shall not be required to provide services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, or privileges for the solemnization or celebration of a marriage. Any refusal under the subsection to provide such services, accommodations, advantages, facilities, goods, or privileges shall not create any civil claim or cause of action. Now, here's what's important of this and we're going to get to this later. Whose principal purpose is the study, practice, or advancement of religion that are the organizations that are exempted. So you could say that, okay, church is exempted. Well, here's my question, right?
2: Your what, business is not. Your
0: business is not exempted anymore. You, you yep. do anything within the marriage industry and you decide, hey, I'm sorry, this is your thing, not my thing. I don't want the government to you know, prevent you, but I, I just don't want to participate. Uh, too bad now. You, you can be sued by the attorney general. Now, they're going to say it's only under color of state authority. Well, this seems to be a contradiction to that. You're now coming in saying that if you provide any sort of goods and services and you don't want to participate in that sort of celebration or whatnot, well, now now you can be in trouble for it. Because the only ones that are given any exemption are those people or or those organizations which are for the direct purpose to study practice or advancement of religion. You're no longer allowed to live it out, right? Mm -hmm. All right, statutory prohibition. This is Section 7. This is kind of like the end of this. No impact on status uh, and benefits not arising from a marriage. Nothing in this act or any amendment made by this act shall be construed to deny or alter any benefit, status, or right of an otherwise eligible entry or person which does not arise from a marriage, including tax-exempt status, tax treatment, educational funding, or a grant contract agreement, guarantee loan, scholarship, license, certification, accreditation, claim, or defense, no federal recognition of poly... Polygamous or uh, it's polyamorous but yeah sorry polygamous there's so many different words for this stuff polygamous he's over here polygamous. making <laughs> up words nothing in this act or any amendment made by this act shall be construed to require authorized federal recognition of marriages between more than two individuals you know what's so funny about that it is can anyone guess what the
2: next battle is going to be five years five yeah, years they're going to be years. saying that this act is bigoted and that right. it's it's archaic. Oh, and, and, it and, it in, be, and in 10
0: years, it's going to be this act is specious. This
2: is going to be compared to um, the legislation that existed in Virginia until the 1960s banning interracial marriage. In what, five years, they'll compare it what, to that. What if
0: I identify as two separate people?
2: Like, how mm-hmm. dare you? Can you marry yep. yourself? You marry how yourself. dare you?
3: This reminds me of
0: that yeah, old- I mean, If I'm they, them, can I get married?
3: Do you guys remember that old <laughs> Almond Joy uh, commercial? Where it's a bride on one side and a groom on the other, it's one person. Yeah, and like he's turned one way, it's like sometimes you feel like a nut, sometimes you don't. <laughs> I don't know that that would go very would well this year at this time. But that kind of reminds if you All want right. to marry yourself.
0: Yeah, final final act, section eight, severability. If any provision of this act or any amendment by this act or the application of such provision, any person, entity, government, or circumstances is held to be unconstitutional, the remainder of this act or any amendment made thereof, the application of such provision, blah blah blah, blah, blah shall not be affected thereby. So basically, it's severability means like if you if you declare one part of it unconstitutional, that doesn't make the whole thing unconstitutional. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's the act. That's what it says. Now, a lot of people look at stuff like this and be like, what are you talking about? It's clearly defined in the act that, that we're going uh, to protect all you religious people that don't like this, except when you dig deeper in, right? When you start to... This is one of the biggest things that surprised me, serving in the General Assembly. And this is something that um, I, I always... I I really, I really enjoy this whenever we're talking to students and we have students come and talk to us about a particular bill. And they'll say, I want, I want a bill to do this. And then I start going through like, okay, would it apply to this? What about this? Would this person be hurt? How would you enforce this? And all of a sudden they're like, well, I don't, I don't know about all that. Like, well, that's, again, that's what we do here. We write laws. And when you write laws, they're going to be interpreted by somebody else. They're going to be interpreted by the executive branch in order to execute them. And then they're going to be interpreted by the judicial branch to determine whether or not it was executed appropriately. But the people that are writing the laws are not the one executing the laws or then providing review of the law, the, the judicial review of the law. Those are different branches and for good reason. But if you don't make clear what you're supposed to do, if you don't put in appropriate prohibitions or if you don't put in appropriate limitations, then there's an expansive nature to these laws. There's an expansive nature where now all of a sudden one governor or one president thinks that, it, it, I, hey, I can do all of this under this law, whereas another one says, no, you can't, and then it has to be worked out in court. And what it essentially happens is if you're just the person that wants to follow the law, you, you diligently want to follow the law, but you don't know how, and now all of a sudden your religious beliefs are also being questioned on this, th- this has the ability to affect behavior in ways that aren't always anticipated. And I think that's what's going to happen here. and there, there's a reason why so many people have come out with kind of, you know, fact checking what the claims are about what this bill actually does versus what the potential second and third order effects. I would call them unintended consequences, but I actually don't I think the unintended consequences that so many of us are talking about are actually intended. I, I do think they want to be able to shut people down within the public space. I think they want to, I, I think part of the object. Is to push people more, push anybody with religious belief that doesn't fit the the kind of the woke progressive status quo into not the private sector, but into privacy. You can do that within your own home. We'll let you do it within your own church. The moment you leave those buildings, you belong to us now. And we're going to tell you what you can say and what you can't say.
1: Okay, so I think it might be useful for us to look at some of the amendments that people have tried to bring to this bill, because there's clearly a serious issue here, because like you were talking about, Nick, this applies to people who are in their religious institutions, and they know for a fact that you don't stop being religious when you leave your church. You are a religious person. It is a matter of conscience. That's why this is a debate at all. So a few different GOP politicians tried to introduce amendments to protect religious liberty, and they were all shot down. So let's discuss why the Democrats thought that was a good idea and what the emphasis was in trying to cut these out altogether.
0: I mean, I think I think the Democrats position on this again, I I actually find it kind of interesting that they added the uh, prohibition on uh, polygamous marriage. Because mm-hmm. I as Christian said, I think we're at least, I mean, maybe five years away from them coming back and being like, "Why can't you be married to multiple people? Like, who, who is it? Why right. is it the government's job to to say that it can only be two individuals? Why can't it be three? Why can't it be four? They, pr-
3: they probably had to put that in there as a as a result of um getting enough people on board with it because if if they were to say that you could just be married to however many people, yeah, however many times with, You know, no, no dissolving of one in order to have another or whatever. If they were to go into that, I think I feel like they know society, even on their side, isn't quite ready for that.
0: Well, I I, can I say another reason, and so they
3: wouldn't have gotten it through.
0: Okay, I think that's true, but I I think there's also another reason, maybe from a practical standpoint, on why they might not have done this. And this is going to—we're actually going to be talking about something else later in the episode that you're going to want to stick around for, and that is what is what is the actual approach that the government should take. And, and I'm going to give you a little hint right now. I think one of the practical reasons why I put that in there is tax reasons. Hmm. Once you go into you know this whole polyamorous, polygamous relationships, h- how do you how do you work out the taxes specifically when 37 people are married? It's a lot to keep track okay. of, <laughs> right? And <laughs> right? and yeah. since taxes
3: are so important to marriage, right, Christian?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as you will soon find out, yeah. For- Crucial. But but we had I mean that's the reason why I think it's Lily, what was it? it? was like five different people yeah, of Five amendments. different G O
1: P like yep. Ted
0: Cruz, Marco, Rubio, Michael, Marco Mike, Rubio, Mike Lee was the big one that was fighting against Yeah. This. yeah. Well and
1: Hoff and, and Lankford, yeah.
0: Well I think it was interesting too, because you even had people like Pat Toomey. Pat Toomey, Senator from Pennsylvania, who who's actually a defender of like same-sex marriage, right? He's not against it. But he even voted against this because he goes, no, The the. in fact, I'll read his quote for you. While the Respect for Marriage Act purports to simply codify the existing right to same-sex marriage, which is not in jeopardy, it goes far beyond that in ways that threaten religious liberty. This legislation would enable activists to sue faith-based groups that provide vital services for our communities and attempt to force them to abandon their deeply held beliefs about marriage or close their doors. And I have a specific example of this. In Virginia, they, they were trying to – they didn't quite get it through, but I think it passed the House – they were going to prevent Catholic charities from being able to engage in adoption services. Catholic charities provides like, I believe the bulk of, of adoption services, but it was okay. But you're not going to get any state assistance or any state funding to assist with that unless you change your beliefs with respect to same sex marriage. So this is like a practical example of them using the law to say, no, 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 I'm not telling you you can't do it. I'm telling you that you will not be allowed to work in, in, in conjunction with the government in the provision of a service, right? Where you can be either compensated or assisted or whatever it is, you can't do that unless you agree with us on what the definition of marriage is. So that that's the sort of thing that even someone like Pat Toomey, who doesn't necessarily disagree with this in principle, is saying, yeah, this is a real concern. And when Mike Lee submitted his legislation to to try to make it very, very clear that that's not what was going to happen, the federal government was not going to come, the Democrats rejected it. So this this idea that you know what's the big deal well when any of when anybody on our side that is skeptical of the federal government's involvement in this has come in and tried to add clarification that okay you're you're going to get this but we're going to make it really clear that this is not going to affect you know religious people Democrats have rejected and said no, no no the protections we've already put in there are insufficient they know it they aren't sufficient they know right. it's going to invite a bunch of civil lawsuits they know there's a bunch of gray area that's going to have to be adjudicated in court and they know that the gray area itself is going to keep a lot of people from saying I, I don't I don't know what the rules are so I'm gonna I'm gonna if if I think the line is here I'm not even going to get close to it and, and the real question there goes to the fundamental idea of why do we have religious freedom in this country? Is your religious freedom just to claim whatever God you want and pray to them within a church building? Or is it the exercise thereof? Like, are, are you, do you have a right to exercise your religion in such a way that, that comports with your founded beliefs, especially when you're not hurting anyone. And it's important to understand that this also goes into the whole concept of why they keep saying, no, no, no. Your language is violence. They are not using that term by accident, people. Right. The moment they can claim, the moment they can convince you that your language is violent, the very act of you carrying out your religious belief, right? You didn't go and stop their gay wedding. You just said, I, I appreciate that you want to do this. I would like to not participate without losing my business or being fined. Nope, not good enough. You not wanting to participate is basically an act of, you know, bigoted discrimination and theoretically, violence, and therefore, we need the government to intervene on our behalf to punish you for noncompliance.
3: Right, because if you own a business, you're in the public sphere, and therefore, you don't you don't get to have your religious views. You don't you don't get to have your individual uh, personality or religious views or character within your own business. So the business is not an extension of of your own rights, which is really interesting because. They'll say, oh, well, businesses can promote whatever they want to promote. <laughs> and they have freedom of speech. Yeah. Oh, really? Businesses no. have freedom of speech. Hold on. <laughs> businesses have freedom of speech, but the individual doesn't? Mm-hmm. That's not how this is supposed to
2: work. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love is, is A, they'll say... Well, it's a private corporation. It can do what it wants. Only when it's pushing what they want. Exactly. The moment that it's not pushing what they want, they want to shut them down and shut them up. What I also find very fascinating is this whole check your views at the door bigot uh, approach. That only applies to a certain segment of worldview. Why is it that people on the left or people who have a more secular worldview or people who have a more progressive worldview, why is it that they don't have to check their views at the door? Right, so so here's an example: an evangelical Christian is basically being told they have to check their views at the door, and they can't carry themselves out in the real world, practicing their faith on a day-to-day basis outside of their 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 church or their place of worship, right? But a um, secular progressive atheist, yeah, they can take their worldview out into the world, and they can live their worldview out on a day-to-day basis, and they can spread their Message on on the way that the world should operate, and nobody has any problem with that. Nobody tells them to check their views at the door.
0: Well, we just saw this in Richmond, yep. where a, a very popular restaurant downtown told the family canceled the family foundation's um, reservation and said, "You're not welcome here." And, and you know what my attitude is? They're free to do that, but you damn well better apply it equally. I, I just I find That's that so right. fascinating because
2: for a group of people whose religion is the state, yeah, whose whose worldview does encompass. You know that that <laughs> the father is the presidency, yeah. the son is Congress, <laughs> yeah. and the Holy Spirit is the Supreme Court, yeah, is the judiciary, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. For, the for unholy Do you guys
1: remem- <clears throat>
2: Um.
1: Do you guys remember in 2015 when Stephen Crowder went into a Muslim bakery and asked them for a uh, gay, a gay cake, cake? Yes. Do you remember what they told him? Oh, every. They he went no. to several,
0: and every one of them were like, "No, we yeah. don't do that."
1: Nah, thanks. No protests. Yeah, and, no nothing. Right. Exactly. Because what happened in Colorado, and this is something we're going to touch on closer to the end of this show, I believe, if all goes according to plan, is that these People are being targeted. They're being used to make a point. Yeah. The point is about Christianity. The point is about a certain worldview. It's not about atheism. It's not about Islam. It's not about any of these other religions. It's just about this. And I think that's exactly why Democrats have left this as vague as they have mm-hmm. and as directionally oriented toward the actual um, church institutions as humanly possible.
3: But what, like, and we're, not, we're, It is curious to me why they don't target other religions, why that might be, you know, what why? motivation do they have not question. to target other religions? And I mean, it, it's just in, it's just an interesting question to me
0: because other religions fight back. Mm, good point. I, I think there, I think it's, here's what I find interesting on what's been going up in Michigan. You've been seeing Christian and Muslim parents show up at school board meetings going, you are not going to teach my children this. And what's interesting is that the left has always said, oh, we'll see how you conservatives like, you know, your Second Amendment rights when it's a Muslim doing it. And it turns out conservatives still like our Second Amendment rights. Right. Of it course. turns out Christians <laughs> and Muslims are going up there together going, you know what? We don't agree on theology, but you know what we do agree on? There is such a thing as a moral order and pushing sex on kids is a bad idea, right? And so this is the thing where I, I think there's going to be some people on the left that realize that, you know, you, you, you are, you're, you're pushing an issue now. And you thought you could get away with it forever because you thought that Christians were just hateful, mean, bigoted, ignorant people that don't like anybody else unless they look like us or agree with us. And what you're finding out is, one, look like us doesn't make sense because Christians look like everybody across everybody. all over the world, yep. right? And and secondly, you're finding out that other people that have a religious worldview um, in, in what we might call the you know, um, like Jewish, Muslim, Christians, they're, they're still... There's still a lot of similarities with respect to the, um, a lot of the moral values in there. there obviously, there's, there's major differences, and, and there, there's major disagreements about you know very important theological points, but there's still this genuine belief in this, the thing of objective truth, objective moral laws, and that is damaging to the woke progressive position because they can't have that, right? The only thing that can be objective is whatever they've declared as objective from one day to the next, and, and they can, they're, they're happy to contradict themselves, too, as soon as that doesn't work for their argument or their policy objectives. But now they're running headlong into people that don't share that worldview. And what a lot of people that you know, have differences of opinion on, on other issues theologically are realizing that societally we, we actually have a lot more in common because of that commitment to objective truth and objective moral law. And, and again, for a a lot of Christians like me, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to impose the moral law on you or my, my Christian mores onto you through government, but don't think I'm going to sit here and let you impose your secular progressive religion onto me and, and. Right. I mean, that's, that's I, what's I, problematic. What I
2: love is that those people try to pretend that it's not a religious worldview, right? Mm-hmm. Atheism is the, right. adj- you know, rejection of God. It's not the embracement of it. It is a religion. Yeah. It is absolutely a religion. It carries all of the components of a religion. It, if we define religion as a set of principles and and viewpoints to describe the way that the world works and ought to work, mm-hmm. atheism absolutely qualifies as a religion. Mm-hmm. And, and what I just find so fascinating and, quite frankly, very frustrating is that people who share that worldview are absolutely protected under the First Amendment and every single law in this country to share that worldview as much as they want and practice that worldview out in the real world as much as they want. But the moment that you reject that worldview and you carry a traditionally you know r- religious view Judaism Christianity Islam yeah. Hinduism a- any of them um you were you were somehow treated as as if your views carry less weight in mm-hmm. matter less than the secular atheist progressive yes it, it it's it's well, a complete it, double standard well, it, and, and nobody it's... can tell me otherwise because yeah. i have family members yeah. that fall into both of those categories mm-hmm. and and i know which one is actually getting the
0: scrutiny in the yeah. public square, and which one isn't? The presumption is that if you take a secular progressive worldview, yours is one that is is based upon scientific reasoning, logic, um, rationality, and you're the good evidence, guys. Inductive and deductive reasoning, and if you're religious, it's just it's just sky daddy and the flying spaghetti monster, right? There, there's no real appreciation. For even the and a historical understanding of how science gained in such prominence, how rational thinking, logic gained in
2: such prominence, how the emergence of human rights emerged yes. out of out of christianity people forget this that before the emergence of christianity there was no respect for life julius caesar wrote in his autobiography glorifying himself for murdering a million gauls and that was considered that was considered something worthy of public praise it wasn't until christ came along that people started realizing that human beings actually had inherent worth and value and that maybe we shouldn't be slaughtering each other and praising one another for it there's so many examples of this of, of how Christianity gets such a bad rap by by certain people but when you look at the historical record most of the institutions that are that that the entire western world has been built upon almost all of the institutions that we would define as classically liberal emerge out of Christianity and including the
0: scientific method <laughs> <laughs> well, and, yeah. and, and this is so we I, I think it's I like I think we've made the case that this is not just this is not a simple thing where people on the left are saying, hey, we just we just want to include this in the code. They they have, they have clearly left open a mechanism for punishing people in the private sector who, who don't believe the same way that they do. And then you have the people that obviously come on and like it, and and you, know, you expect it out of the left, but there's also a lot of libertarians, like Austin Peterson, who, who I know and, and who I've been at events with before, and who on a lot of issues I agree with. He, he made this tweet where he was saying that, oh, they're using the same arguments against same-sex marriage that they used against interracial marriage. And and my response to that is okay. I don't know who's making those kinds of arguments. I would not agree with that sort of reasoning. But please don't pretend that this is the same thing. It's not. Please please don't pretend that if if you if you honestly believe if you honestly believe through scripture, because you're not going to find anything in, in Christianity which you know is opposed to interracial marriage, right? In, in fact, it, it's quite the opposite in the respect that in, in Christianity, you you're all you all have equality and value within the body of Christ. Right, male, female, different ethnicities, different, you know, uh, skin colors, etc. So th- there's not that. However, scripture is also very specific on what constitutes moral sexual relationships, and it's between a man and a woman within the boundaries of marriage. Now, again, there's a lot of people say, "Okay, well, I don't share your religious view. Why should you get that to impose that on me?" I agree. I'm not trying to impose it on you. But but understand that what's going on right now is that the, this pushback on well why is the government holding up one definite mar- definition of marriage to be superior, you're, you're not trying to change that dynamic. You're just trying to change the criteria by which we impose it, right? We, you're trying to broaden the definition. We should also impose this. Well, I, now I'm going to start to wonder because when it was one man between one woman, I could at least track that back to things like oh I don't know centuries of common law. That's I, I could I could I could track it back to. Um, you know, tr- traditions that kind of made sense with respect to, hey, you know what's kind of important to society? People having kids. You know what's also yeah. important to society? Those kids growing up in a, in a structure which actually supports, educates, takes care of them so that they can then become, you know, responsible adults. Hey, do we, we all agree that's kind of important to society? Okay, great. Cool. Boom. Now, again, if you want to come up now, if you want to show up now and say, I don't like this, I don't think it's a good idea or proper role we'll for government, that's one thing but that's not what you're saying. You're saying, we know we do like this, but now we want to open up the definitions and we want to tell you that the, the government now is taking a proactive position and saying that all of this is valuable and that all of it should be respected. And if it's not, you're now potentially coming close to violating the law.
3: Yeah. Can I go back yes. real quick to that goods and services section where it's saying, you know, consistent with the First Amendment to the Constitution, nonprofit organizations. And it starts listing basically nonprofit religious organizations who would be exempt, which means this really isn't about goods or services, because it's it's about things provided purely by religious organizations that whose sole purpose is their religious organization. Um my question is since this clearly omits, you know, individuals from having first amendment rights, basically it's basically saying you individual person who owns a business, you cannot exercise your religious views. Um, and and so let's say that like we've got a really good friend who's a DJ Mm -hmm. and he makes, he makes a lot of his uh, business off of, of Weddings. weddings. Um, Here's the thing, and, and then you've got people with venues. You've got, <laughs> you've got um, a lot of different organizations, whether it's caterers or whatever. Mostly the hospitality areas. Yeah, you've got a lot of people who are no longer going to be allowed to say, "I can't do this wedding," or "I can't, I can't um, do this type of business," yeah. because nowhere in this code is it going to allow for that. And so, my question is uh has has more to do with loopholes i'm curious as to whether or not somebody could set up a non dj service
0: yeah
3: and or a non-profit um Cake religious baking. venue <laughs> service and have it be basically set it up so that they can fit within this definition is that possible do you think or would that be really hard and you'd have well, the, the people prob- getting sued?
0: The, yeah, the, the problem is is that again, what we found is that people are sue happy over this stuff.
3: Well the right? other thing and, and they're
0: yeah. very selectively sue happy, right? Nobody's suing the Islamic baker.
3: Right. But can I bring up right. one other thing is the fact that under the Obama administration, we all saw how religious exemption or not religious exemptions, but um uh Nonprofit religious nonprofits and and various other nonprofits were getting denied and denied and denied and denied and, and not getting approved. And so what I'm wondering is, if somebody does try to go, hey, well, okay, we're a religious organization, then. Then they'll no, just get because,
0: denied. Yeah, they'll, they'll, one, yeah the one. And we watched gover- Obama. The do government it can theoretically, yeah, deny yeah. deny its nonprofit status because again, when you're when you're applying for nonprofit status, they're going to ask, you know, what is, what specifically are you doing, and under what section is it charitable? Is it educational? You know, what is it? And then if you start, but here's the other deal too: if you're starting a nonprofit, well, then now you can't have a for-profit business. And most of these people don't want to operate as a nonprofit; they want to operate as a for-profit right. business. It's a much better way to operate in many respects. Right, but now you're forcing them in, in this, and and again, this goes. This is where we were talking about with the whole, you know, the government trying to control crypto and everything else. It's like this seems like Book of Revelation stuff, right? You will not be allowed to engage in commerce unless, right? You know, you're 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 willing to to you know march the party line on something, and and that's the part that gets scary. Now the the counter argument that they will make is, oh, so you want a bunch of bakers to have signs in their shops saying, you know, we serve everyone, but you know, gay people. Right. Or, and, and, and they, honestly,
3: they, I wish uh, a lot of these organization or these shops would put up a sign like that one in Richmond that was like, we're not serving this Christian organization. Can you just put a sign up? So we know well, I, I would prefer I mean, to see moving, a sign.
2: We're moving so in this th- direction where, yeah. where businesses are but at least becoming if they, explicitly political. I yeah. don't mean, I don't mean political in the form of like expressing your like religious worldview. I mean, political, like political, political. Yeah. yeah. and, People are self-sorting, right? I mean, but if
3: they were to put up a sign, it would tell the rest of us, "Hey, well, not it, a good establishment to go visit." That's what I
0: mean by people are self-sorting. Well, so that—that's, yeah. but that's the question. This kind of goes into the larger discussion of what is the actual solution. Like, if you're a liberty-minded yeah. person, mm-hmm. what's the solution to this? Because if you're sitting here and you're looking at this, going, "I don't know about all this," like I don't necessarily, I'm, hey, I'm skeptical of government power. And so, I mean, gosh, I I understand that. Yeah, I don't want shops to be able to put signs out there like they did during the Jim Crow era. That said, you know, whites only, and I and I I don't want to the government to actively work in such a way as to discriminate against these people. But by the same token, I don't want a baker hauled into court because they didn't want to participate in your wedding, right? Like, so what? Right. So, Nick, the solution is just elect more Republicans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is it though? It I'm is not. not. About that. It is not. I had a couple of questions before we go on, Nick. I wanted to ask you. There's a sign that some Places have it says we refuse we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone. Yeah. What is the legal what's the legal background for that? Is this actually true? Because I know some do not carry guns here. Signs yeah. are ineffective because they're not like the right format. Is this the case with these signs or is this something that these organizations it is a, do?
0: It is a question of whether or not it violates state or federal law. So you can you when gotcha. they say we reserve the right we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone, that's technically true based off of the reason why they're refusing you service. So, right. you know, but okay. if they come okay. right out and say, I'm refusing you service because of this, well, then now that potentially violates state or federal law. Now they can't do that. But if they say, you know, hey, no shirts, no shoes, no service, we have a dress code in this restaurant and you're not wearing it. So I'm kicking you out. Th- those are those are areas where typically we allow businesses to, you know, have the leeway to make those distinctions. And, and it's also right. it, a lot of this used to be covered under what we considered freedom of association. Right, it was a First Amendment protection. It was the idea that you know freedom of association obviously is also the freedom to not associate. So I I don't I don't have to join your club, and I don't got to let you join mine. Now, again, a lot of people have used that for some pretty horrible stuff. There's there's no denying that. The question is 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 the government coming in and 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 trying to codify all of this? Is it actually leading us to a better place? Because as Tina pointed out. if, if you have, like, let's say you're operating your business based off of racist principles. I would like to know that so I can never do business with you, right? Or, or let's say you're operating your business off of deliberately anti-Christian principles. I would like to know that so I can never do business with you. Let's say you got another business that, you know, hey, they, you know what? I, I just want to make sandwiches, man. And, and I'm not going to tell you what my politics are because it's not important to the process of me making you a sandwich that you want to buy. I'll do business with that person. And typically that's as the long way as it's good. Yeah, it's typically that's <laughs> right. the way typically that's the way that has worked in the marketplace because the marketplace was primarily focused around providing the good or the service, not around some sort of of larger agenda. Now that's not to say that some companies don't play off of you know, maybe, uh, you know, religious notions, or they play off of patriotic notions, or they pay off of something else that isn't directly related to whatever product or service that they're providing. And that's fine. They have the ability to do that. And consumers have the ability to choose. But more and more government is is weighing in to what constitutes, you know, a, a, the appropriate way to run your business, to market your business, to wh- where you can participate, where you can't participate, what you have to be willing to do if they'll let you conduct business. and And that's That's, again, this is where I go back to It's like, look, you can always point to an example of something that you hate seeing within the private sector. You hate seeing a private business owner do. But the moment you allow the government to take over that space and now dictate the terms, just keep in mind the government's got a pretty bad track record.
1: It's true. It's very true. This is why it's been so. So interesting to me. So you mentioned solutions and you mentioned liberty-oriented people. And this reminded me of the libertarians in my mentions who are talking about how, actually, this is a good thing to get the government more involved in what people are doing, which just absolutely breaks my brain. But I think that one of the best solutions that we have to this, and if we can focus now on a solution, is the idea of the free market and truly upholding this concept that, hey, if this bakery doesn't want to bake you a cake, instead of dragging the owner to court, what you, you should probably do, and I'm really fighting the urge to swear right now, is probably just go to a different bakery. Now, we know that they were trying to make an example of Jack Phillips. They were trying to because they did the same thing. There was a transgender person who returned to his bakery and said, you're going to bake me a cake for my transition. And they took him back to court over that, yep. too. And this, to me, looks like the Respect for Marriage Act looks like it's literally just opening the floodgates for all of this stuff. But as far as solutions go, the Supreme Court is looking at the case of the woman in Colorado who said, I'm a Christian and I don't want to be put in a position like Jack Phillips where I'm forced to design a website for somebody who is getting a marriage that I do not approve of. My conscience cannot let me approve of, which is super interesting and hopefully positive. It looks like they're leaning in her direction on this one, and I'm a little optimistic on this count. Um, I don't know how you which direction wanna go from here, Nick, but I think I, that the SCOTUS is
2: I, I think that it's it's worth mentioning that and we did talk briefly about this or we hinted at this. It's worth mentioning that um, until nineteen thirteen there was no I repeat, no federal recognition of marriage at all. There was no reference to marriage and any federal laws. There was no federal regulation over marriage. In the eyes of the federal government, marriage was exclusively an institution that was reserved for religion. And if it was regulated at all, it was regulated at the state level. Well, Christian,
0: what happened in 1913 to cause the federal government to change their mind about their involvement?
2: Oh, my gosh. The worst year (laughs) in human history, at least in the history of the United States, was 1913. And part of the reason why was because in 1913, they passed the 16th Amendment. And then they passed the Revenue Act of 1913. And the Revenue Act was the first income tax, first permanent, I should say, because they tried to have one in the 1800s and the Supreme Court struck it down, right? But um, the, the first permanent income tax in the U.S. was the Revenue Act of 1913. And so the entire reason for federal codification, federal definition, federal recognition of marriage was simply because the federal government needed to make more money. Yeah. They taxes. they wanted to take more money from the American people. And well, so and that's that's the whole reason they so, put it in the code. So I, I'm gonna I'm gonna come right out with what my solution is to this. By the way, this gets okay. to, to before you get to the solution, this also gets to why they're probably Going to have a bigger fight on their hands if there's ever going to be a push for a polygamous marriage, yeah. We're because of the the tax implications yeah. of it.
0: Oh yeah. What does that mean? When you again, what does it mean? you have got 37 people living together in a polyamorous. I just find that so fascinating that yeah. there was no fat until barely a well, hundred years and, and, ago. And, and you know what that means, Christian? Is that before 1913, nobody ever got married ever. Civilization
2: didn't exist. It didn't exist. We were just <laughs> in the wilderness poking yeah. each
0: other with sticks. Is, is this, and yeah, we, we were sitting there, and it was <laughs> it was just. I mean, there was no marriage because the feds hadn't had weighed in on the. Don't topic. you know that? If the
2: federal government doesn't do something, it doesn't exist. So Until 1913, marriage didn't exist. Yeah. Everybody was just (laughs) roaming around in the wild. There wasn't...
0: Like, whose kids are these? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah.
3: I I have a question. When this passes, which it it looks like it will pass, when this passes, what can individuals do about it? That's the the, the big question to me is... I have a business. How do I not get run out of the, the business? Qu- the
0: question is going to be: the question is going to be. First of all, there's probably going to be a lawsuit almost immediately, and then you're probably going to either yep. see federal courts do an injunction, which they say, "Okay, hey, we're not enforcing anything until we figure this out." And then this will go to the Supreme Court. There's no question that this goes into play. This will go into the Supreme oh, yeah. Court because they're going to have to have interpretations on what some of this means, and it's going to cause problems. But the issue there is that you're you're not going to be able to really probably change it unless you have a significant change within government, which obviously isn't happening right now, you know, other than the House. But even that, it's it's a minor change. And there's enough Republicans that voted for this. Well, there's a reason so why, you're, why you're they wrote it. Need, isn't there a reason why
3: they wrote it up in such a way where it can be kind of sliced and diced? And because they wrote it up in such a way where sever- it can- Ability component, yeah, exactly. yeah
0: the severability component. So, and that that will be that will be a major question. But this, I I would be shocked if this does not get challenged and go all the way up to the Supreme Court. Um, because mm-hmm. there are so many problems with respect to how this can be uh, interpreted and whether or not it's a violation of First Amendment rights, and I think it ultimately will be de- determined that it is. Um, now, he- here's the, again, what's the solution? How do we actually figure this out so we're not fighting about it for the next, you know, 100 years? So my solution of elect more Republicans, No, you know, that's, that's, that's probably not, <laughs> probably not, <laughs> not, not un- going not elect, to work. That's probably not going to work. Clearly not going to work. Not unless you elect Republicans that actually, I don't know, understand things about, you know, philosophy and the hmm. limiting principle of government power. But, okay, now, hear me out, because <laughs> this is one of those situations where I get I get hit from both sides. Um, and, and I'm going to tell you why I get hit from both sides. So I, I have actually publicly come out and said, I think the government needs to get rid of or get out of the business of defining marriage altogether. I think you take marriage completely out of the code. And what happens is the left is like, oh, oh, so now that we get it too, you don't want anybody to have it. And the right comes in and says... No, we, we need the government to, you know, reinforce the idea that marriage between one man and one woman is, is the ideal. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's my view. I'm a Christian. I believe in the biblical view of marriage. The biblical view of marriage is one man, one woman, right? That's, that's the biblical view of marriage. That's the only marriage that I, I see. And, and it and it's that marriage, especially too, within that, that's the only marriage I see is like, yes, that meets the full definition of what I consider, uh, you know, a, a marriage to be now. If you have a state license and said, am am I going to be just disrespectful to you and like go up to you? You're not really. No, I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to to be polite and respectful. We just agree to disagree on some things. But here's the key. It goes back to what Christian said. The federal government wasn't even involved in this issue until 1913. The only reason they got involved was taxes. There is no reason for government to be involved in your marriage. There's only one reason why the government is ever involved in marriage, and that has to do with the dissolution of it, not the actual advocacy of it. Now, you can say all day long that, well, hey, society decided a long time ago that the best way for the upbringing of children is between is in a, is in a healthy family and that, you know, obviously you need a man and a woman to be able to create the children. And so all of that's important and, and, and the government needs to recognize that and, and enshrine it and, and, you know, support it. Okay, how's that working out for you? Seriously, if that's your argument for government involvement in marriage is that you recognize that this is such a valuable institution that the government has to support it. Okay, great. How's that working out for you? You gave the you rendered to Caesar something that wasn't Caesar's and guess what baby Caesar screwed it up. As per SOP almost every single time Caesar's given everything and you give Caesar anything except go break things and kill people in faraway lands and Caesar screws it up. Caesar's really good at, breaking, really things good at breaking things people. and killing people. So here's my, that's my, that's my argument to my conservative friends, to my Christian friends. It's like, I am, I am every bit as dedicated to what we both agree is a biblical definition of marriage, but nowhere in scripture do I see it giving me the authority to then use the power of the state to compel people to believe that way and to punish them if they don't comply. Nowhere. So how do I, how do I advance it? Well, step one of advancing my view on marriage. I got married in accordance with what I believe about marriage. And then I do my best to be a good husband and father. You are, honey. So that, you're a great Thanks, You're babe. a great husband. <laughs> oh. So that way when other people see it and I talk about this, they don't like, well, what are you talking about? Like your marriage is a shambles or, or your kids are running around spray painting buildings. Like, no, they're like, okay, <laughs> I do my best to actually be a good representation and, and to follow the rules that, that are laid out within my faith on, on how to be a good husband and father. And that's going to be the best argument I can possibly make. It sure as heck isn't going to be me going to run into the state and be like, hey, can you punish all these people that don't agree with me on the definition of marriage? By the same token, the reason why the left wants this so bad is because the left gets validation from government approval.
2: As I said before, that is their, st- that is their church. It,
0: it has become the state. The state religion is the state, right? And, and it's the idea that, no, 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 this is so important. And because this is how we get our, our moral validity for an institution— Anybody that now challenges the validity of that moral institution now needs to be punished by the state. Here's an idea. And and please keep please keep something in mind. Thomas Sowell said it best. When the government is is engaging in some sort of activity, they're not engaging in solutions, they're engaging in trade-offs. All right? Mm. Trade-offs. There is no perfection this side of heaven. I'm so sorry. I'm not saying that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive for it, but you better be really careful if your method of getting to perfection is to hand more power and money to politicians. Holy crap. How many more historical instances do you need to recognize that that might not be the best way to achieve your end state? So here's how, here's how it would work in Nick's world. You go get married. Not at the courthouse, not at, not, not from some government handing you a certificate saying you're married. You go get married However you want to, maybe that's you going out front and saying, we're married. Maybe for us, it's going to be going to a church, getting married within a, a certain practice and procedure as laid out by the Bible. Other people might do it at their mosque. Other people might do it at their synagogue. Other might be, other people might do it at their rotary club, right? You you get to choose. Now, do I have to respect that? that do you have to respect that my marriage is the same as your marriage? No. And I don't got to do the same for you as long as neither one of us are trying to hurt the other one. And, not, and neither one of us are trying to get the other one to be forced and compelled to do something they don't want to do. So where's the government's role when all of a sudden two people that engage in this sort of you know, you know, union decided to break up? And now there's kids involved or there's property involved. Well, that's easy. That's a contract. We have contracts all over the place. The government It is an intermediary in contracts when two people disagree with respect to what's supposed to happen to assets or in the case of marriage, what's supposed to happen with respect to custody of children. They're the institution that comes in and helps adjudicate that. If it can't be adjud- and this is important, if it can't be adjudicated by private actors, there are situations where people say, hey, look, we're we're splitting up, you know, we're getting rid of the business, we're doing whatever we're doing, and you get this and we get this and that's it. And we don't need the government to intervene at all. It's when there's a disagreement. So when there's a disagreement, it's very simple. Tina and I, we go to the church and we get married, and we're now married. Now, in our worldview, what we're going to do is if we have some sort of problem, we actually have a mechanism through the church to to adjudicate that. But let's say it gets so bad or let's say that I, I just end up being a horrible human being and now Tina needs protection from the government. So what would happen there? Well, at that point when we got married, we'd also say, okay, now we have a civil contract that the government is aware of, which says that if our union dissolves for some reason, this is how we want to handle custody and this is how we want to handle division of assets oh my gosh, look at that. I was able to go and address everything that the government currently does within this sphere without the government ever having to define marriage. So now Hmm. we don't got to fight over it. We don't got to fight over what for us is inherently a religious institution and for what you might just be something you do for tax purposes. All right, if it's something you do for tax purposes, you fill out the little civil contract in order to get your little tax write-off or whatever it is, and in order to decide... What's going to happen if you guys divorce? Mm -hmm. Marriage was never defined. You still get to be married because, in your eyes, you're married. Great. So, that's the solution to this. The solution is not politicians from different sides of this fighting over who gets to compel the other one to believe something that they don't believe and that runs contrary to deeply held beliefs for them. We don't need to demonize everyone in society because we disagree on an issue that we may consider to be fundamental. But more and more, I think what we're finding out is that when something is truly fundamental to society, handing it over to politicians to solve for us ends up creating more division, not less. Mm. Respect for individual liberty, respect for individual conscience is absolutely mandatory in a free and voluntaristic society. Where we are capable of cooperating with one another when we agree, and leaving each other alone when we do not, instead of instantly running to someone else to say, "Hey, you got the you got the taxing authority, right? You got the machine guns, right? Force that person to do what I want." They're we, bad. We got these people over here that we don't like. Punish them. Oh my them. gosh! Yeah. Like, I, is it right, really that right. difficult? The, the whole
2: "Can you please let leave people alone" thing. There. I, I, I'm sorry, but we are moving in this direction more. I think that now more than arguably any point in U.S. history, there are more people in this country that do not want to leave each other alone. No. They want to use the power of the state. And it's not just the left, although I would argue that it's overwhelmingly the left.
0: But it's not just the left anymore. I I Again, people on I would the right still to say that it. it's
2: overwhelmingly the left. But like... Yeah. The, oh. the, People, it's funny because as people keep self-sorting, and I've used that phrase now a couple times, as people keep self-sorting geographically in terms of where they shop, what they buy from, who they hang out with, where they live, like like where they work, people are ideologically self-sorting. So you'd think that they would be leaving each other alone more because they're they're only yeah. interacting with their tribe, so to speak, increasingly. But instead, we're getting the opposite happening mm-hmm. as people are are are. are withdrawing from the world and becoming more self-secluded within their own ideological tribe, they're becoming more willing to use the force of government to impose their will on the other side because the other side is the is the enemy tribe, right? I, and
0: I, I gave this example once. I said I, I've had – one of the things that I've loved about going to some of the events that I've done and whatnot is that I've sat down with people – that I disagreed with vehemently about this issue about a lot of other issues the difference was is that in the conversation I was having the one thing the one principle that both of us agreed on was neither one of us were going to use the government to compel the other one to do what we wanted yes. where we agreed we yes, would work 100%. together where we disagreed we would leave each other alone and then reality right our ideas beliefs and philosophies being worked out in reality would decide which one of us was correct on an individual issue and we may have discovered depending on the issue one path was correct for me and one path was correct for them it's not always necessarily yes. the same on other things there are guiding principles that I th- do think are universal and apply to everyone but the difference was neither of us were going to use force and we sure as heck were going to delegate out the force to the government to compel the other one to do. in that situation you can talk you can sit down with somebody and have some of the most wonderful, insightful, beautiful conversations you will ever have with people that disagree with you on the issues, provided that you can agree on that one principle. We're not going to force the other one to do what we want. That's right. Because coexistence, Next let me just, I'll, I'll stop here. I promise, Lydia. You're I've good, said this you're before. <laughs> coexistence is not a bumper sticker you put on your car, coexistence is resisting the urge to coerce those whom you can't convince. Hmm. And if you can live by that, you will find that you can have diverse friendships and relationships with people that are are different from you ideologically. But the moment, the primary way to solve the difference is through force, violence, and coercion. Even if you've delegated it out to a government body, get ready for people to self-sort and never want to be associated with other people that think differently than they do.
1: Yeah. You're entirely correct. And what you just described there, Nick, was the actual definition of respect, unlike the word as it's used in this title of this ridiculous bill. I think you have the exact right idea, and I'm really optimistic that people will start to understand that more as we're moving forward. And hopefully it won't take too many like Supreme Court cases like I suspect we're about to see because of this law moving forward. But you never know. Silver linings come for everything. So hopefully uh, we will be able to achieve that modicum of respect for other people as we move forward. But I think we should wrap it here. We've been talking for an hour. I feel like we broke it down pretty well. We explained the bill itself. We talked about the problems we have with it and we gave a really good solution. So hopefully people will leave this podcast better than they came in and with a better understanding. Understanding of this ridiculous act.
0: All right. Well, listen, thank you all for joining us. And I also want to thank, we had a member of our volley chat that in our last podcast said, Hey, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't feel you actually explained what you were talking about to the layman before you went into it. And so we took that advice. And this time we said, Hey, look, before we talk about this, we're going to actually read the language of the legislation. We're going to get everyone on the same sheet of music. Everyone's going to understand the same operational environment. And then we're going to engage with it and inform people. So I hope that we did that again. If you got some ways that you think we can improve our volley chat is a great way to do it. Thank you for joining us and we will see you next episode.